When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, Holly. Hey, Dave. What's going on today? How are you? First of all, if this is your first time listening to our podcast, welcome to our podcast. This is what difference does it make? While you're listening to us, maybe you could follow us on social medias. The secret is WDDIM podcast. Just uh, you could find us everywhere there except for YouTube where you have to do a search for that. Right, Ollie? Yeah, but did you just say social medias? Yeah, I did. And I'd like to offer a sincere apology. We are counting down the top 106.7 songs from 1984. So we have counted down every year the one, top 106.7 songs from the world-famous K-Rock in Los Angeles. We are down to number 10 to 1 from 1984. Yes. You ever talk to college buddies? I, talk to, I do talk to college buddies often. I don't get to have them as guests on the podcast, but I do talk to college buddies. I, okay. First of all, you don't consider me your college buddy? <laughs> you are the only college buddy I talk to on the podcast. Yeah, I, I, oh, that's okay. what I mind. All right, all right, fine. Do you consider me right. a college buddy? Of course. You're my number one college buddy. I don't think I talked to anybody else from college. Yeah, so even though I, I didn't go to UCLA, I pretended I went to UCLA. Um, I uh, had some friends who worked at the radio station there, and that's where I met Darren. And he's still a passionate music fan, so I, I, we still have this uh, this nice connection. It's so cool that you have remained friends, that you have this bond over music, which is so great because if I had met him in the 80s, my bond with him probably would have been over the movie 16 Candles, uh, which he was in and I was a fan of. I think everyone in the 80s was a fan of 16 Candles and everyone can name every actor in that movie except for probably the guy who played Cliff. It turns out the guy who played Cliff is Darren Brady Harris. Turns out Darren has carved out quite a nice life for himself and is still a huge music fan, which is why we brought him into our podcast. So let's get into it with Darren Brady Harris on the What Difference Does It Make podcast. All right. Recording. Recording what? is being recorded. Ooh, that, that's new. That's fancy. Hi. Ah. Hi. <laughs> nice to see you. Never. Uh, this is Holly. Holly, Darren, Hi. Darren, Holly. Darren, nice to meet you. Likewise. Thank you for doing this. Yeah, it's a fun idea. Are you ready to talk rock and roll? <laughs> or or the bands that are on this list? Yeah. Oh, here we go. Okay. Darren's got an opinion, which we love, which is good. It's going to be nice. Though. It's going to be really great. <laughs> it's be that nice. I'll call you out. Did you review the songs? I sent you the, the top Oh, yeah, ten. yeah. I brought some memorabilia that I have in a bag beside me that is... Got a brag great. of fun. Nice. Oh, okay. Felix. <laughs> yes. You were the music director at KLA, right? When I was music director, Len Navarez and I were co-music directors. Okay. And this is the radio station at UCLA, the college radio station. And you were the music director from when to when? I don't know, 88, 89 or so. Okay. As I'm trying to remember, well, when did um, Injustice for All came out in 80, 88? 88. Okay. I remember you were like all into Injustice for All when that came out. and. Mm -hmm. Like, all right, I guess I should pay attention to this because it used to be for me, like speed metal was like, oh, this is just a joke. This is this is just hilarious. <laughs> and I think you saw it as well as a joke. But then you're like, but this is this is really good. I ate it up. Yeah. Um, and it was funny because when I was music director at UCLA, I also had a speed metal show and a Sinatra show. So there you go. Don't try to pigeonhole me. They go hand in hand. 
<laughs> yeah. Strangely enough, during this episode, I'm going to bring up Sinatra as well. Mm. Yeah. We'll see if you can guess where I might bring that up. So you were in like the late 80s, you were a music director. And how do you come about becoming a music director at a college radio station? Do you just raise your hand like, who wants to do this? Walk in and say, yeah, can I have this job, please? Yeah, well, it was just such a small group of people, especially at that UCLA at that point. I don't know what it's like now, but the radio station was pretty small. It was a cable radio station. And it was in this small room at the back of what was called the grand ballroom in the student union building. And there, there weren't that many people that worked there. Uh, it was like a secret room. I don't think most oh, of yeah. the students knew it was there. No, no. And, and, and if they did, they wouldn't have cared because um, <laughs> like there, there was a feed to um, one of the, the, the food court areas at UCLA and somebody would regularly cut the wire to the feed <laughs> that the music would not play there. Cause we, you know, we were playing, a lot of the usual college rock stuff, but then Killdozer and Butthole Surfers and some folks would get more extreme than others. So it was very niche. And that being the case, I don't know how much competition there really was to be music director <laughs> at the radio station. I'm sure it was like any college radio station in that it was it was like a fraternity for people who would never dream of joining a fraternity. Go there every day and hang out and um, just talk about music and geek out. So it was It was great. My wife worked there. I didn't know her when she worked there. I'm still friends with so many of the people that I knew from the radio station. You started, I say, later in life. It was like five years. You were like... Yeah, I, I, I was a couple of years older than... Yes, exactly. you were a little bit older than, than a, lot of yeah, the, yeah. a lot of the kids. I lost some time because of showbiz. Let's touch a little bit on this showbiz thing. I love your origin story. How did you get discovered? So... My family had moved to L.A. from Canada in 82. And for my dad, he found a great job in L.A. And I was really into movies as well as music, but really into movies. And at that point thinking one day I want to go to uh, UCLA film school and was we'll just go through the L.A. Weekly and the reader and all that and look for interesting film events and go to movies all the time and Somehow, oh, it was Filmex. I think it was through Filmex. There used to be a, a film festival every year called Filmex. And I think they were sponsoring, I don't know if it was the premiere, but it was premierish of Blue Thunder. This It was Roy Scheider, Malcolm McDowell with that helicopters going through LA, directed by, I think John Badham directed it, who was really good. So anyways, it was at the old Avco Center Cinema on Wilshire. Mm. And uh, my brother and I bought tickets for it. And I remember seeing Arnold Schwarzenegger walk by. And so there were some stars there. And we got there late and had to sit in the front row. And I was already over six feet tall. So I'm just slumped there, hating life, waiting for the movie to start. And a <laughs> woman came up to me and asked, are you an actor? And I looked at her like she was crazy. No. And she asked, had I ever wanted to be an actor? No. Very skeptical. Mm -hmm. And then she introduced herself as a, a casting director and said that they were looking for kids for a movie. And I just, I, I was totally nonplussed. Even though I was really into movies, I just thought, this is shifty or something like that. I can't remember exactly what we talked about, but I asked for some some background, like, okay, so who's directing it or something like that? And she said... Well, it's going to be directed by a guy who used to write for National Lampoon magazine. And then I, I literally kind of went, oh, what? Really? <laughs> and perked yeah, up a bit. I want to be an actor. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I'm an actor. And um, then she asked if I would want to audition. And I probably went, yeah, maybe. And, and, and then she said, well, why didn't you write down my number? Do you have a pen? And I go, no. Kind of like, No. Like just a snot-nosed kid. And then Perfect. at that point, I became conscious of the guy beside me who I didn't know was like this, listening to the whole thing. And he goes, I have a pen and handed me his pen. <laughs> so he was fascinated. He was more into it than I was. So I wrote down the number and then called her. And she said, you can come. Do you want to come audition just for, for me and my team or audition for the director? And I said, uh, maybe I'll audition for you first because 
Mm. That's not something I've ever done before. So I did and went to Universal and saw, oh, this is legit. And I think she'd sent me the script. I remember reading the script and hating it. And it was, it was, I just thought it was awful. I didn't like teen movies. And I just, oh, this is like Porky's, which I hadn't even seen, but <laughs> I didn't think it was very good. And my parents said, just go with it. This could be fun. Could be a fun summer job. So I auditioned for her and she said, great. Why don't you come audition for the director? And so then I met him and that went well. And then there's a music angle too, because I had buttons from England because I was always a big Anglophile. So I had a button at the jam and probably the clash. And I remember him asking if I'd ever seen the jam. I went, no, and I was still mad at my parents for not letting me see the jam at Perkins palace in 82. He had seen the jam in uh, Chicago. And I go, oh, wow. So I think mostly we talked about music, yeah, which was fun. And he, he was good at getting a rapport with kids. So that was kind of it. And then it, it, it went on and on and on for months, but it was just, can, kind of fun. Can I ask, because you were not dressed how you are now, just kind of like a nice little preppy shirt, collared shirt. How are you dressed? Because you you must have caught her attention with whatever oh, you were wearing. Well, she was looking, yeah, she was looking for nerds. So let's not forget that. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. Were you, were so, you wearing like a members I, only? Something similar, maybe. I, I was trying to dress like a mod because I was really into mod music. That's, that's still my favorite. So you were failing miserably at dressing like I a mod. Know. I don't know if I was, uh, but I do remember, oh, actually, this is relevant. I think it was not long before that, that I cut out a coupon for a, um, a hairstylist place on Melrose from the LA Weekly, and it said they would do punk and new wave and mod haircuts. Uh, awesome. I'll take a mod one. <laughs> and I, I don't remember the name of the place or anything, but I went and the guy was horrible and he cut my ear. He was, he was just bad and my hair wasn't responding, so it was the worst and it was... It was a really bad, obviously visibly bad haircut. And I think I had that haircut when she saw me walking down the aisle going, there's a nerd that'll work cheap, I'm sure. Wow. Let's sign him up. So uh, there. <laughs> so there. That's pretty funny. Okay. So when you went, you said it went on and on, meaning. Did the you whole process you- went on for a long time. You didn't like the script. When did you realize, oh, this, this might be good? Or did you ever think like, oh, this might be something good? These. These people I'm honest? working with are. I've never thought it was good. So, oh. <laughs> even to, to this, this day, day, even to this day, yeah. Um, but I, I didn't know it would ever be popular. I mean, it wasn't a huge hit, but but it's obviously had some staying power, and I didn't know enough to uh, to be able to predict that kind of a thing. It's pretty cemented in in uh, pop culture now, as it, it, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> It, it, it certainly is just the fact that anybody wants to still talk about it. I, a couple, I don't know how many years ago, it was one of the anniversaries, 25th or 30th or something at the Castro theater in San Francisco, which is a big, beautiful movie theater. There was an anniversary screening and they had some of the cast members and I joined them for that. So, so that, that was nice. And, and just a reflection that the thing continues, but um <laughs> But as far as the whole process, um, I remember being excited and then not hearing anything. And and I think I had stopped buying concert tickets for a few weeks because I was thinking, well, I might not be able to go to the shows. <laughs> and then I thought, ah, it's not going to happen. So I started buying concert tickets again. And then it's funny how it all comes back to music. Um, and then missing a bunch of the shows. And I still have some of the tickets because I was either going to auditions or going to Chicago or something like that. You think they might have reimbursed you for that, for mm-hmm. missed shows? I think it paid off in the long run, but yes, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, but who knew, you know, at the time? Are well, you... I, guess you, I guess you pretty much knew you were making a movie with... That's true, but I remember missing Fun Boy 3 at the Palace <laughs> in 84, and I still have that ticket. I think I might have been there. Do you still save all your tickets? I do. I, do you want me to sh- show you some right now that are relevant? <laughs> Why not? I Bring them up. Going through some of them, so... <laughs> I know we're going to talk about Echo and the Bunnymen. So this is one of the shows I had to miss at the Palladium in 84. All right. March 16th, 1984. How much was the, t- what's the, yeah. uh, what's the price on there? 1075 <sighs> with a whopping $1.50 surcharge. Yeah. Those surcharges will kill you. And how much we were pissed off at the time. Yeah. At the surcharge. Oh yeah. And then when we were in Chicago making the movie, John Hughes sent the kids to two concerts. We went and saw the Divinals at this club 
nice. which was fun. And David Bowie, I still have that ticket at the Rosemont Horizon on the Let's Dance Tour. Oh, that's that's an arena, right? So it was a smaller, yeah, because yeah, he was doing stadiums for that for the Serious Men Life. So you got to see him small little venue, kind of. Yeah, and then I had bought. I remember, I think maybe still in Chicago uh, at Wax Tracks buying a Serious Moonlight bootleg double album that I've since sold. I don't remember when or why, but I wish I still had that. You've sold some vinyl, apparently. Yeah. You're just telling Close me that. that. You've sold, you gave up on your vinyl. That's, I, that's because I, you've moved I, too, too many times, right? Yeah. I it's it's heavy. It. Vinyl is too heavy. Oh, it's, it makes me sick to think about. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's one of those things that's too easy to downsize when you're downsizing. It's like, eh, yeah. It's funny when I did sell it, which was just before the, the kids were born, lots and, and great and uh, quite a range of things. And then I just felt sick afterwards. And I went back to the record store <laughs> the next day and asked if I could have my copy of Quadrophenia back. And they charged me for it. <laughs> oh, of course. That's a thing, Bastards. <laughs> Have your girls discovered vinyl yet? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We go record shopping. There's a, a little record store in San Rafael, like five minutes away, called Red Devil Records that we go to pretty regularly. Well, that's fun. Good. I'm okay. Was everyone behind you supporting you? Because, you know, most of most, that's during the filming of 16 Candles. This is your first job. You're just a guy. You're literally a guy who came off the street and is is in a film. These other people are professional actors. Like, I mean, even though they're kids, they've been doing this for a while. Well, it, it, yeah, it was interesting because I remember a, a lot of people were just starting out. So like, while we were shooting it, Vacation came out, which I think was Anthony Michael Hall's first movie. Mm-hmm. And Class came out, which I think was John Cusack's first movie. So they were they were new, but they were real actors. Um, but yeah, some people did know and they were very nice. Uh, And I remember somebody from the crew commenting on what a good vibe it was on the set. And he said, you're never going to see it like this again. (laughs) This is very unusual. It's just, everybody's happy and excited and positive. Um, so John Hughes directing his first movie, there was just, uh, just sort of a, this is new and thrilling and and I only did two more movies but they were nothing like that so that guy called it (laughs) okay was it were they uh did the experiences just not compare or were they negative uh one of them was super negative weird science I was gonna say is it Robert Downey Jr.'s fault (laughs) are you recording now (laughs) Uh, it was just weird so there's a producer Joel Silver who did Mm -hmm. Die Hard and things just a not a nice guy. And mm. I do remember that some of the main cast members were causing a lot of trouble in the hotel and getting a lot of complaints. Trouble meaning noise. Tr- oh, was there uh, extracurricular activities going I'm on? I'm sure there were, but I, I was in my room reading, so okay. <laughs> um, I, I didn't want to know what was going on. But I, I remember then the producer called everybody together and was yelling and screaming and threatening to send everybody home. And at that point, I was like, please send me home. This is no fun. But it did seem like that's more typical of the kind of stress because it's hard making movies. Yeah. And that was it. And I did another one. It was just three days, Better Off Dead. Yeah. uh, Oh, that one came out before. Yeah. So I I was just in and out. And that one, barely remember it even. Were you still into doing films after actually being on a set? You wanted to initially be a film director or whatever. And what? yeah. I mean, it was interesting from that perspective because because I would go and talk to the crew members and I, I was much more interested in that side of things. But I thought, I don't know that I need to go to film school if I really want to do this. Like John Hughes started in advertising, which is what I went into mm-hmm. uh, ultimately. Now, I auditioned a little bit more, but once I got into college and started doing that, combined with the fact that I was not an actor, it was not a big decision to make just to get back to normal life and leave the acting to the professionals. I'd say you were quite the actor in 16 Candles. There was something serendipitous about it then, you know, it just, it, 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 it worked out that time. But I remember going to an acting class with a friend of mine. I should start taking this seriously. And then when I got to the acting class, I realized I cannot, I can't take this seriously. And it's just, it's very, it's a tough business, you know, that's yeah. why. The actors 
get into trouble. It just wreaks havoc on their psyche, all the ups and downs. You know, think about doing job interviews and actors are doing several a day mm-hmm. and you got to get yourself built up and then disappointed and all that. So it's uh, not the healthiest way of life. <laughs> but I really want it. Yeah, you were like the first time you go to Vegas. You always win the first time you go to Vegas. Like, ah, oh, this is great. I'm going to do this all the time. I'm going to win all the time. You're be a professional gambler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I'm an actor. Yeah. People love People are just me. stopping on the street and telling me I should be in a movie. And now I'm a, yeah. in this major film. Audition? <laughs> nah. Okay, we're yapping it up with Darren Brady Harris and having a wonderful time. But uh, let's take a break. Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner. And Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Welcome back to the What Difference Does It Make podcast and our guest, Darren Brady-Harris, helping us count down number 10 to 1 from 1984. All right. Speaking of time, let's uh, start our countdown here. We're looking at the year 1984, the year 16 Candles came out. It's actually kind of surprising as we've been looking at uh, all these songs that are on this list. There's always one or two surprise nuggets in there of songs that you've kind of forgotten. And top 10 list is still no surprise, even though it's the supposedly the, the 10 most popular songs K-Rock played. So uh, we're going to go through them one by one, and you can kind of uh, throw out whatever your uh, opinion is of of uh, what was going on <laughs> in your life at the time or what this thing, what this song might evoke when you hear it. Number 10 is Hold Me Now. This is by the Thompson Twins. This is actually the fifth song that's on this chart by the Thompson Twins. Wow. I know. Yes. So what do you, like, you don't think of that when you think of the Thompson Twins. Then this was their big hit. This was it. They played it at Live Aid. This was the quintessential, and you're not asking me. I know you're asking Darren, but I'm telling you, this was the quintessential 1984 love song for someone our age. I I remember before moving to LA when uh, we were, my family lived in Vancouver, and I I don't know, maybe it's because we were getting the LA Times to kind of learn and there was an article on K-Rock, and it had mentioned In the Name of Love, uh, and the 12-inch remix of In the Name of Love, which was still new back then. And I remember getting into that one, and um, that's still by far my favorite Thompson Twin mm-hmm. song. But yeah, I, I liked them. I never, that's one that I, ne- I never got to see them, but I always liked them. How about you guys? In getting to review all these from 1984, from Into the Gap, great album. I mean, that was, it's been a lot of fun, but this one is the quintessential, even though this wasn't my favorite from the album, it was just, I just remember, you know, being in love, you know, of course, not knowing, never really listening to the lyrics, except for the chorus, you know, that they were married, Tom Bailey and Alana Curry. Oh, I didn't know that. I remember that. 
-hmm. But okay. it is interesting that the, the, the names of those three people, apparently I will never forget. Can you name them? I was about to ask it. Well, the other one is Joe Leeway. Yeah. Why do I need okay. to still know that? I have a picture Know where the Thompson Twins comes from? You're a film guy. You're an old school guy. Very good, Tin Tin. Okay. Here's the other thing. Who? Okay. So you know it was a it was a Spielberg film. Eventually, yeah. Yes. Eventually, it, it turned into a. It was a computer computer animated. So who did the voices of the the Thompsons? I don't know. I don't remember. I uh, like the movie. Two guys: Simon Pegg, Nick Frost. Oh, I'd forgotten that. Yeah. It's a fun movie. I, I, I oh, still is it? have. I, I was just organizing our books. I have, uh, I lived in Europe when I was a kid and have all my old Tintin books still from the 70s. <laughs> you were into, he was into everything. I swear. It's amazing. I don't know. Well omnivorous. Just it, an omnivorous. Uh, is it because you were Canadian? I mean, you live when did you move out to la so you were in canada for how long i was born in canada my family moved around a lot i, I don't know for sure a few places in canada um and then a couple places in england in the 70s belgium um and which was the, the erge who did tintin is belgian mm -hmm. um and then back to canada where I was from, Winnipeg, and then Vancouver, and Victoria, and then L.A., so. Do you speak um, any other languages, or did you? Family on, oh, sorry, I yeah. want to know if his family's on the lamb. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, like that's yeah. a good question, too, um, yeah. Keep the curtains down. Um, <laughs> I used to speak French just from being Canadian, um, but don't have my, many opportunities to use it. And I took it at UCLA, too, actually, come to think of it. Yeah. And you've lost the ability? or yeah. Oh. But we we go to Paris every few years, but it's not enough to yeah. reinforce a whole lot. All right. Well, you you passed all your uh, Thompson Twins knowledge here. <laughs> okay, let's move on to number nine, The Killing Moon, Echo and the Bunnymen. What do we think of this song? There oh, we go. I import 12 inch. There we go. Ooh. And it has, uh, speaking of the Beatles, a cover of All You Need Is Love on it and oh. Seven Seas. And Stars Are Stars and Villiers Terrace. That's wow. one of my all-time favorite bands. Um, you saw them at the Palladium, I hear. Well, no, I didn't go. Oh, you didn't go. That's right. <laughs> Never. Freaking 16 Candles. No, I've got the ticket. I, I don't think I saw them until Universal Amphitheater, maybe, after that. And then in the 90s, because they had a resurgence in the 90s. They had an album called Evergreen that was great. Yeah. And my wife and I saw them um, in London at the Brixton Academy. That was great. Oh, look at that. We're going to yeah. get to oh, And also once at the Great American Music Hall, there was a point, probably also the 90s, when they were going through a bit of a lull, but they were still great. And they played this beautiful little theater in uh, San Francisco. That was fantastic, too. So, yeah, that's one of my all-time favorite bands. Good. And he used to do the best interviews. I probably still have a bunch of old melody makers still. And yeah. he was famous for having a big mouth um, and being very opinionated. Ian does love this song, The Killing Moon, a lot. He thinks oh, it's yeah. probably the greatest song that's ever been recorded. <laughs> I think he's actually said that. <laughs> My favorite song from this list. Yeah. Oh, is it? Okay. And going to Sinatra, Ian has said that he wanted Frank Sinatra to record this song. Oh, that would have been something. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind of makes sense. I love that. Cancel it though, I know it must be the killing. 
So you're talking about what he says in interviews. He doesn't seem to give much away about his music in interviews. You know, like he doesn't, you know, I think. Point. He, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's an interesting, interesting guy. But, yeah. you know, his songs are always, it's what you want them to mean or, you know. I yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. The the whole old Liverpool scene. Um, I, I'm a big, big Julian Cope fan and mm-hmm. they go way back and. Um, mm-hmm. And Pete Burns from Dead or Alive, they were yeah. all in bands together. So interesting scene. Are you a lyric guy? Do you know, uh, like, when you think about the killing not, moment? No. Okay. I'm not a lyric guy. Okay. So yeah, when you yeah. look at this song, you're like, uh, I, I don't know. It's just a, it's just a great, great song. That's all there is to it. <laughs> I know it's, it's, it is interesting, but I am very much a, a music guy. That's one of the arguments I used to have, or not arguments, but discussions, you know, especially in college with other music nerds. Yeah. Um, I remember most of my friends were lyric people. In college? What? Really? Okay. Yeah. Not <laughs> me so much. They, they mentioned that this was a song about uh, destiny versus free will. Go over the lyrics and just uh, ponder, if you will, if you want to. Holly used to, and, and you used, I think we've had this guy, you listed this song as one of your, like a romantic song, like this, I think like a Valentine's Day song. If I remember correctly on a podcast, you said this. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know right. if it's necessarily something I'd want sung to me, but, but. I may, yeah, no, I may, I may have to revise that opinion. Maybe I've matured since then. I don't know. It's, it's a, uh, I don't know if I categorize it as a love song now. Did you call it a stalker song? I, I don't know. There's something, you know, the killing time, unwillingly mine. I don't know. There's, I don't uh. know. <laughs> oh, oh, that's sweet. <laughs> yeah, but it is the way Ian sings it. It's, it's, he's crooning it, and it's, it could mean a lot of different the smell things. Of the music, yeah. All that. Oh, very seductive. Oh, I would be lured into his uh, van wherever it was and be driven <laughs> away. <laughs> so he said about in an interview later on. This was in 2012. I woke up with that lyric. So about I think fate up against your will. I woke up with that lyric. As if God had given it to me in my sleep. Recently, I realized what it is. It's that soliloquy, to be or not to be. But it's even better because I'm fucking singing it. <laughs> Love that. Love the arrogance. <laughs> yeah, why not? We'll go to number eight. This was Holly's heartthrob, Billy Idol. <laughs> song is the song is Rebel Yell. As we've talked about before, yeah, oh. th- this was actually a song. It, it actually made the charts in '83. Now this, and then of course in, in 84, this is one, two, three, four. This was also f- the the fifth of five songs that were on the charts. It does remind me that I used to call into K-Rock and win a lot of records. Oh, yeah. I just remembered. And I can't remember if it was this one or the one before it. Cause the, the white wedding was the one before, right? The yeah. album before. Yeah. I had, I'd won two copies of whatever album. Uh, it was by Billy Idol. I, I remember having that from K-Rock. And I remember winning a Christmas tree from K-Rock once, oh, um, which was pretty cool. And we had to drive into the valley. It was some Christmas tree lot in the valley uh, to get it. No, Billy Idol, I don't mind, but never really got into. I think Dance It With Myself, I liked a lot. But this is not a song I would ever have to hear again <laughs> in my life. Yeah, as we talked about last uh, last year when we did 83 1983. yeah this was uh he he rebel yell is a whiskey and um uh, he shared this with mick jagger keith richards and ronnie wood and he's like oh i, I like the name of this this whiskey and and the song was born inspiration yeah. inspiration last night a dancer came dancing to my door last night a little angel Actually, a uh, I looked it up. It's actually a Confederate yell, like a uh, during the Civil War. Oh, this is yeah, this right. was something they uh, it was an actual yell that you can find on YouTube. 
You could hear that yell. It sounds terrifying. It's like dogs barking or something. Actually, hold on. One of those where you pronounce where it pronounces it. Charging across the battlefield. Are you going to get retargeted by Confederate websites now? Yeah. You want to hear that as they're charging for <laughs> towards you? I'm probably going to be targeted now. Now I'm going to be, I'm on a list. If I hashtag. Hashtag rebel, rebel yell, yell. But also confederate yell. Don't do that. Do that. <laughs> All right. Get a whole new audience. Yeah. So this is the fifth song we're mentioning. So she's going to, are you going to mention for the fifth time? Where, nope. That she saw, okay. She lost her, okay. I will tell All Darren right. she lost her mind at the Palladium. In 1984. 1983. Oh, 1983. Oh, yeah. Who else was on the bill? I'd be curious. I don't remember. It didn't matter. <laughs> no, you're, I don't remember. You're asking. Actually, do you? It was funny when I was just going through tickets. I did see that some of them I wrote on them who opened. Yep. Uh, yeah. Because it wasn't necessarily printed on the ticket. So I wanted to make sure. Well. Preserve it for posterity. All right. Oh, we still got seven songs left. Okay. <laughs> so the Vandals. The song is Lady Killers. You mentioned that you were a record promoter. What's what's going on with yeah, this? Yeah, after college, one of my first jobs, maybe my first job was record promotion. And um, at some independent place, just pushing albums to, to college stations and things. and Calling people uh, like yourself and saying, hey, have you heard the new Vandals oh, record? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I remember there was a Vandals album and I had the Vandals in my little office to do phone interviews. And they were past their prime. And this was, oh, so yeah, this was they've been 90, around. They've yeah, been around. Yeah, because this is early 90s, probably. Yeah, right. Talking. Um, but I do remember they had Josh Freeze in the band as drummer. Was he really? He became a really big in demand oh, drummer. Okay, I thought, well, Joe Escalante, also a, yeah. a UCLA yeah. student, oh, really? <laughs> he yeah. went to UCLA. Yeah, and has a lot, got yeah. a law degree. Okay, so I, I thought he was, I thought oh. he was the drummer, but uh, Josh Freeze apparently was the drummer at yeah. one point. Okay. Yeah. I just remember they were total pains in the butt, but <laughs> good song. I listened to it. I hadn't listened to it in a long time. I listened to it again last night. Still, it's no urban struggle. That's still my favorite. <laughs> I think that holds up real well. Still goofy. Yeah, they they were just. Uh, th- this was the what? Yeah, this was the one weird song in our ten song chunk. It's the yeah. you know this little punk band from Orange County. K-Rock put it in the top 10, which is insane. That's what was interesting back then about K-Rock right. all the different kinds of, of music you could hear. Yeah. Do you mind if you dance with your mates? impression of k-rock when you was it what you listened to when you were when you came I, to I, LA? I listened i listened to k-rock and um kxlu back then and kday because uh um, oh wow okay when i was yeah. going through my albums for 1984 the one of my favorites and i actually i brought it out it's not relevant to this discussion but this came out in 84 oh yeah run dmc's debut and I, yep. I wish K-Rock had, had played that, but that was that was a bit of a blind spot. So that's what I would listen to on KDAY. Yeah. It surprises me that, that, didn't, that K-Rock didn't play it in hindsight. That's what I thought, too. Yeah, in hindsight, it's like, why wouldn't you? Because they just, yeah. they seemed open to interesting sounds and different cultures. You know, there was the, the Anglophile side, but all that local stuff, too. Yeah. yeah. Remember X? They used to play X every five minutes, it seemed like. Yeah. And 84, yeah, rap was, could have been a good pivot for, for K-Rock to embrace a number of these, uh, these artists. They did transition a little bit later with the rap, you know, some of the, maybe, maybe late 80s. Maybe. Well, sure. Once, right. once uh, a band called the Beastie Boys came around, then. Yeah. That's a good yeah, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> Things started changing. 
Yeah, you will have, by the way, I am going to request again, that Beastie Boys photo, possibly for our cover. <laughs> I know, right. Do you have a Beastie's photo? Yeah. So <laughs> I would, I was really into the Beastie Boys. I still still have my licensed ill shirt from the Palladium in 86 <laughs> or 87. That's the only really old concert shirt I have. But right around that time, I, I was, I, I must've been at UCLA and there was some music person gave us a couple tickets to something called the world music video awards, which is just some sham thing at the palace. I don't remember any real awards, but the beasties were there. I can't remember who else, maybe run DMC, but the beasties, I think they lip synced a song on stage. And I remember me and some friends from UCLA standing, waiting for something to happen. It was between bands. The beasties were by uh, beside the stage. And we'd keep kind of looking over there going, oh, my God, the Beastie Boys. And then they were pointing over in our direction. And we're looking and looking. And then my friends elbowed me and said, I think they're pointing at you. And I looked and they were waving me over. And I went over to them. And I go, yeah. And they said, were you in 16 Candles? I'm like, shut up. All right. Yes. Yeah, so I got to pose for a photo with them that my friend took. And I still have a print of it somewhere. But that was a big moment. It's a prime yeah, yeah, it's yeah, the yeah. greatest photo ever. I mean, we always talk favorite albums, and License to Ill was your favorite album. Never mind the Bullocks and License to Ill. Oh, like, really? oh, yeah, they 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 were back then. I don't. And know. I remember laughing like, I oh yeah, it's just that. two bands that will never make another record. <laughs> At the time, I th- I thought the Beast. That's I thought that was. that was yeah. I think it was probably '88. We had this or something like that because I remember like, oh yeah, like the Beastie Boys will ever make another record again. You know that they're done. And like, then I do remember being in your house and listening to. I think you played Hey Lady. You know, it was like just this, the 12 inch of Hey Ladies, and I think you had to pick up my head because it exploded after I was when I heard that. Like, oh my god, yeah, this a, is the greatest. All right, another band that was hot for a hot second. This is the second, the first of two songs in this top 10. Frankie Goes to Hollywood, Two Tribes. You're familiar with this band, I believe. I love that band. And it, <laughs> especially because I was such an Anglophile and reading the British music papers every week and reading all the Frankie buzz and then getting the imports of the singles and all of that. And then I remember, I can't remember the name of the record store, but a record store in West LA, as soon as it opened, going in there to get the Frankie album and they, they didn't have it out. And I said, do you think maybe it's in the back? Do you want to go check? <laughs> and the guy actually going and opening this crate and giving me oh, the first. These kids. Big multi-gate fold, I think. And then I was disappointed not to find these tickets, but Frankie played two nights in a row at the Greek. And, and I went to both nights. I think it was the first night the drummer was actually at the admission gate talking to people. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, right. Wow. Um, the funniest part was they were good shows, but they did relax twice each night. So that means I saw it relax four times <laughs> <laughs> over two nights. <laughs> and, I, and I'm still not sick of that one, unlike Rebel Yell. Uh, <laughs> here and relax. When I saw Big Country, they played in a big country twice. Really? Yeah. And that's the only that? that's the only time I've seen that. That was for their their debut album. Like, okay, I guess oh, they only okay. have I one didn't see them until the second album. Yeah. Uh, I guess they only have one record, so I'll allow this. This is weird. Yeah. <laughs> but, I think fans <laughs> would have a problem with that. I don't I mean Yeah. It's kind of a cool thing, I would imagine. Yeah. Like it's a good song. Although you hear it like, you know, they play it the third song, like, wow, ballsy move. They're playing relax. And then they, you know, and then you go <laughs> yeah. and then they, they do Play relax again. Like, oh, okay. All right. I guess that's fine. Got a double album and yet. Do you say, wait, did, did they already play this? No, you're just excited to hear it again. Yeah. It was the song of the moment. When you heard Frankie, what was it about them that, that just uh, did it for you? I remember being into Trevor Horn and liking his production. And, and it, it, it did feel very timely. It felt... Yeah. Like there, there, there was a certain machine to it and the drum sounds and, and it kind of rocked, but it was dancey and little dangerous but and funny. I thought they were funny. Yeah. It's always important for rock really and roll. Weird band. To ha- and yeah. not take themselves seriously. Yeah, though, yeah, yeah. Those were the bands I was always attracted. I think same with you. Like if yeah. they could have a good time and, you know, like recognize this as ridiculous or, or just, uh, you know, do something that, that kind of add some levity to the music. It didn't seem like an obvious formula for popularity. Right. Uh, No, definitely not. 
and 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 yeah, I mean Holly Johnson and <laughs> was Paul Rutherford gay too? But just the sexuality side of it all was good for them and adventurous and being open about that, and so it felt fresh in that way. Yeah, in a lot of ways. But the sound, you're right. The sound was really powerful. You know, everything about the sound was like big. Boom. Yeah. yeah. Listen to the album recently? Is it something that you want to go back to? Not at all. Nope. Okay. No. Nope. It, it was nope. of the moment and just like, <laughs> yep. okay. Yep. All right. They're not I don't, I don't remember it being a good album, actually. I don't I remember it being you just, a You just remember being the first. arguing about whose version of Bang a Gong was better. There's a power station and uh, obviously power station. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they did have their moment. <laughs> all right. So let's keep moving. We, we You touched on... Um, sexuality and things so we're, we're hitting into our sexuality section right here yeah there's a there's a number of songs the, just the one three three songs right here so we had frankie goes to hollywood right now number five erotic city by prince which k-rock was playing this is uh, they actually played i i guess if you want to call jungle love they played four prince songs that year you know when doves cry was 39 let's go crazy was 50 jungle love 58 and erotic city because you know, sexual K Rock played it a lot. Oh right, yeah. They and it was said. a it was a B side. What was it? The B side of it was um, to. I knew you were going to ask me that. I think it's to Let's Go Crazy. So Erotic City. Was Prince. that part of what was interesting about it? Is that it was just a single or just a B side? It was just a B side, right? And, yeah. But yeah. Jocks, this is what K Rock did this a lot. Even with Thompson Twins, they played some B side. They played the B side. Yeah. Back when you didn't have computers programming everything. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's what was, was interesting about that beyond that, that it was naughty yeah. and everything. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't have a distinct memory other than loving Prince back then. That's all I got. It is funny. <laughs> I remember the first time I heard when doves cry, I think was on KLOS. I was there. Yeah. Back then they had some sort of premiere of the new Prince song. I'm going, really? KLOS. All right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It was like me. You didn't have like your, drive the your car into the like pull to the side of the road like what the oh my god this is like that's what was so interesting you know that that prince was crossing yeah all the radio boundaries too were you did you buy seven inches were you like a singles guy yeah i did i I didn't buy i don't think i bought any prince seven inches i would buy the albums yeah and i still have a lot of singles i love singles (laughs) remember the singles there for a while cbs had one-sided singles and they were really? cheaper in the early 80s. I, I can't approve of that. That's not good. <laughs> I, I think I still have some of those. There was an Elvis Costello and a Paul Carrack. I'm off topic here, but no, yes. nothing is off topic here. <laughs> okay, good. good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I remember liking it, but not enough to buy it, honestly. All of my purple life, I've been looking for a Okay, so the third of our sexually charged songs, um, Bronski Beat. Why? Darren, why? 
That's tell me why. Tell, tell me why. I, and I had that 12 inch site and I went through my records last night going, Did damn you? it, that's one that I sold. Yeah, that was a great sound. I don't know who produced it, but not just the voice, but the the the, just the music of that mm-hmm. is really interesting. It's got a darkness to it. Cinematic in quality and just... Uh, yeah, and, cinematic is a good word for And it. they're, yeah, just match with Jimmy Somerville is like that falsetto that's like, oh my God, mm-hmm. what a voice. Yeah, yeah. I, there was nothing like that back then or maybe now. Yeah, you got maybe Frank Ocean or something like that, but... Uh, then that got played. That was fantastic. Right? Have you seen that that, that video um, of there's a, a, a busker, a street musician playing, I forget which Bronski beat song, and then Jimmy Somerville walks by. <laughs> it's really nice. Oh, that's cool. It's a moment. It was. <laughs> We got three more here. Let's get. Let's knock these out here. The only song from 1984 from this band named "You Too." And the song is "Pride in the Name of Love." As a history major, what is wrong about this song? I don't know. <laughs> I can tell you, Holly. Okay, the floor recognizes Holly. Please. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know because it, uh, it was the time of his death. Oh, okay. They refer to early morning. You two refers to early morning, but it was he was actually shot at uh, six six p.m. Yeah, early evening, something like that. So, yeah, but Bono changes it in in um, okay. sometimes when he sings it. Right, he'll sing it as a uh, early early evening, April fourth. There was no internet back then. So <laughs> yeah. Encyclopedia Britannica. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't think you two made the Encyclopedia Britannica. Maybe. No. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? What? Uh, yeah. So, where were you with uh, with you two at this point? I still like them. I don't think I I might have bought that album. Um, this was the Unforgettable Fire. Yeah. Produced by I Brian Eno. I them on the radio. I like them a lot, but I, I and I like the Joshua Tree, and then I stopped liking them a few years <laughs> after that. But yeah, I was into them. I remember wanting. I remember the first time they played. I think on their first album, they were coming to Vancouver and my parents wouldn't let me go. So that was 1980 or something. Your parents yeah. shut you out a lot. They, the jam and you too. You I have some issues, but I don't. But <laughs> still, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I liked them. I, I don't think I was wild about them at that point, but I liked them as much as most people. How about you? Yeah. All aboard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Holly, go ahead. Where, Wait, you, where you, were you with Unforgettable Fire? Where would you rank Unforgettable Fire in the in the U2 uh, canon? I can't rank them by number for you, but I was good with Unforgettable <laughs> No, we only Fire accept after. numbers. So give me a number, Holly. <laughs> Stickler. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll have to get back to you on this. Okay. So what I'm taking away from, from you, dear, is you couldn't, pi- you couldn't pivot with them when they went to like... Um, no, uh, Europa and, and I, I like them. No, I like them at the time. They're just one of those bands, like for me, them and REM that I don't think I'll ever listen to again. I just got so sick of them and was crazy about them both for a long time and, and then kept going with them. But then it was, I forget the album in the 90s or no, no, it was actually early 2000s where you two had a pretty popular album. All that and, you can't leave behind, probably. Yeah. Maybe. And going to see them and just hating them. I remember where they, what's their big sappy. Is it one? Or are you looking think- for love or one? One. Yeah. And they had, they had this big screen and they had the pick uh, the names of everybody who had died on nine 11. Yeah. This was okay. Yeah. yeah. This was like 2002. Uh, and I found that nauseating. exploit that for this song that already existed and has nothing to do with that. And, uh, uh, so I was done with them at that point. Problem with that because they don't need to really capitalize on anything. I, I thought it was exploitive and in bad taste. I, I just couldn't wait to get out of there. 
honestly. I think I was already probably getting over them. And it was yeah. funny because yeah. it was my wife and I both worked in advertising and there was some company that had rented a party bus and was going to take some people to go see U2. And she hated U2 and went for me so that we could go. And then, and within a few minutes of it, I realized, Oh my God, I don't like this band anymore. And we were trapped because <laughs> we were stuck with these people the on the bus. Yeah. A measure of our close relationship. That's, that's what you bond over your, <laughs> over you too, yeah. in a way. <laughs> Ian McCulloch always had sort of an axe to grind with you two and people would ask you started at the same time and they became so much bigger. And, and I do remember not that I even had to, but thinking about them in a comparative way, you can like as many bands as you want, but I did always really prefer echo and the Bunnymen. I actually had pulled out a quote about the killing boon saying that, um, Will Sargent was saying, I knew that I didn't want it to sound like you too. That was the main thing. <laughs> Such reactionaries. Right? <laughs> no complex. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there's so there is that. Everyone bonds in different ways over the over you two. So Yeah. Yeah. All good. We deserve that. All right. Uh let's go to number two, General Public. This was a song that was in uh, Sixteen Candles and Weird Science. The song is Tenderness. Really? Did you know really? that, Darren? Yes. No. Um, I didn't know it was in either of those. Apparently it's in a, the classroom scene. Did you, Holly, you just watched 16 Candles. Did you hear Tenderness? I did hear it, but I can't remember the scene. It, was the, oh. it says classroom scene and then Weird Science, it was near the end. Wow. What did you play in Weird Science, by the way? Who, you were like a, just a student sitting in a classroom? Something? Background nerd. Yeah. It was always nerd, but it was Typecast. nerd with less time on screen. <laughs> yes, I was. Were you was. good with the nerd? You were good with the... With the... Uh, yes, a nerd. Well, I only did it three times, and and I did think about that. I go, I'm good. I, I <laughs> between the I'm not an actor, and I don't want to keep putting on funny glasses. Um, time to move on. So by the, the third time, I, I don't need this. Uh, but anyways, which song? Oh, General Public. I never got into General Public. No, I love. But I love the English beat, but never clicked with General Public. And then so when I was working at that record promotion place, I don't remember why. But there was some album that had something to do with him. And I went up to, I think it was Miles Copeland's house in the Hollywood Hills. And Dave Wakeling and a few people were there. And it was to play some new album. And I just remember not being able to focus and go, what, what's my job? And he <laughs> seemed like a very decent individual and, and all of that. So I'm a fan. I just never got into general public. It was just so poppy. And I, I love the English dude. And it just seemed like a sellout I just couldn't get into it I get it you want to see Darren Harris play a nerd and you want to hear Dave Wakelin play do his scout <laughs> stuff so put on those glasses yeah put on the put the glasses back on
Okay, which brings us to the number one song in the country in 1984 on K-Rock in Los Angeles. Relax. Don't do it. Yeah. Did you have a relax shirt? Did you wear one of those? I never did. I never did. I, I, I thought they were cool, but didn't need to wear it. How about you? <laughs> it wasn't your fashion aesthetic. No, I, I, it, it, it was just interesting, you know, 80s fashion. I had Ton Sertan. I had lots of embarrassing I, yeah. 80s clothes. Um, just not that embarrassing 80s clothes. Holly was at Camp Beverly Hills, so she she might have had uh, a couple of those shirts. I, yeah, I might have. I mean, I, I could have. I just didn't. didn't Wham have similar shirts with the Choose Life and all yeah. that? Yeah, exactly. Same block lettering, white, yeah. white dolphin shorts. You were a few years older than us. Did you pick up on these connotations on relax and, you know, what these, what the songs were about? No. Yes. I you were, so. you were aware. So you, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes you're a well, lyric guy. <laughs> you pick up. I would hope at the age that I was, that I'd understand what they were talking about. But, uh, <laughs> no clue. Which is all the more remarkable that it was so popular. Right. On video. Yeah. I think most people were like, like me, I had no idea. I thought, oh, this is this is a jammer. <laughs> I like I like this. <laughs> a banger. Uh, yeah. <laughs> even though they didn't say it back then, I don't know. What did we say back then? If something was good. I don't even. This is awesome. It's just awesome. I do too. Wins every time I say it. Darren, thank you so much for this. We- yeah. What year are you doing next? I believe we're doing 1985. Well, it was fun. And it was good to meet you, Holly. Okay. Thank yeah. You. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Thanks, Darren. I really appreciate yeah. it. It was a good year. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks, Darren. Bye. Bye. Stay awesome. All right. Some good times. We did it, Holly. Holly, we did it. We, it took about six months, but we got through 106.7 songs that K-Rock played back in 1984. Yeah, let us know what you thought of our countdown. Some comments on uh, Apple Podcasts. Comments are great. We can read them on air. And we're always happy to do that. As a matter of fact, just got a review on Apple Podcasts from Aaron Newman 66, who says Dave and Holly are terrific at evoking the vibe of 1980s radio with interviews, recollections, and stories. For those who love that era's new wave bands, it's a must listen! Exclamation mark. Thank you, Aaron. Uh, we really appreciate Aaron? that. Yeah, very nice. That's very kind of you. That's exactly our goals. Thanks, Holly, for uh, for sticking with me until uh, for 1984. This has been a fun journey. Uh, you want you want to do 1985 and eventually? That would be fun. I'm on, yeah. Okay. You know what? I'm fully on board for 1985. Okay. Let's do it. Okay. We're gonna do it. Yay! So until next week, this is Dave. This is Holly. Check you later. Over and out. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.